This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society. And we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. Robert W. Malone, MD. It is wonderful to have you back. Thanks so much for joining us today, Robert. Uh, Peter, thanks for your friendship. It's been a pleasure to host you on the farm a couple of times and uh, all of our many podcasts. I don't know how many we're up to right now, but uh, I, I always enjoy talking to you and, and through your to your audience. So thanks for having me on again. No, thank you. And if 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 what you're doing doesn't work out, if everyone deserts on Substack, then I think you do have another future, which is steaks. I think that was the best steak I've had outside <laughs> Texas. So I, I say open up a steak restaurant, Robert. <laughs> yeah, that might be my future uh, if, uh, if, if the powers that be have their way with me. If you say too much, because that's a safer. But just for the viewers, uh, at RW Malone, MD, on Twitter, on Getter, anywhere else, and of course, Substack, RW Malone MD, same.substack.com. If you just type in Substack, Robert Malone, it will come up. All the links are in the description. And, and that is also a way to uh, support what Robert does um, in the, the many places he travels, speaks, interviews, and all of that. That is uh, a one way of supporting him. Um, or getting his book, which I had beside me, Lies My Government Told Me. There it is. Lies hey. My Government Told Me. Uh, make sure if you haven't got a copy of that, get a copy. It's a great Christmas present. About to come out in Norwegian for all of your Norwegian uh, listeners uh, and in Dutch. Uh, I think we're going to have the book launch in Norway uh, in uh early December and the book launch uh, in the Netherlands uh, sometime in February. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, and then we have another book that is just nearing completion on Cy War and Sovereignty, which is the, the big uh, propaganda. Um, you know, there in the UK, you're certainly familiar with Nudge Technology and uh, the 77th Brigade and uh, MI6 and all of their various nefarious activities through the COVID crisis. Oh, yeah. I look forward to that coming out. Uh, the Norwegian languages, maybe I'll give it a miss. So uh, uh, I'll wait for <laughs> the new book. It's got a great cover. <laughs> I look forward to it. Um, Robert, I, I love your Substack. Uh, there may be four different Substacks that I follow uh, because you can have an an avalanche of information and yours is one of those and my favorite thing is you don't know what you're going to get each day is different <laughs> it could be on the farm it could be travel it could be um latest scientific research coming out it could be government agencies and how they work and i love that huge mix and that wide array and one of the recent ones just days ago was what is woke and intolerant and moralizing ideology and you had a little cartoon at the beginning um and at the end the definition was stuff i don't like which i actually thought was a good definition but um <laughs> yeah this is it's a term that i think we now use um frequently and we kind of know how to describe things as woke but we're not very sure what exactly that is yeah. if we see it's something like oh the, that's woke like the, why 
the definition of pornography. I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Uh, same with woke. Um, and and uh, yeah, so so thanks. Uh, this was almost kind of a throwaway Substack uh, that Jill put together on the fly. Uh, basically, we tend to wake up in the morning or as we're going to sleep the night before. This is our lives. Hey, welcome to our lives. Uh, we. We lay in bed and talk between the two of us. Well, what are we going to write tomorrow? I don't know. I forget, you know, um, uh, good heavens. And so uh, in this case, what transpired was we, uh, when, when we like to turn off our brains, uh, we turn to uh, the tele, you know, streaming. We never watch television mm. per se, but we stream. Uh, and uh, they tend to fall into two categories, basically uh, science fiction and uh, documentaries uh, about history or travel. That's kind of our lives. I know it's pretty exciting. Um, and uh, so we were watching this new Netflix series called Bodies. And uh, we it proceeds because it's a kind of a multi-timeline thing uh, that, that is uh, all wrapped around uh, the UK and London is the, is the, uh, the setting for the series. Uh, and I don't want to go into the plot line, but basically uh, in episode three, suddenly we have the insertion of this gratuitous, uh, let's say gently man love mm. uh, with a, with a fairly explicit scenery associated with it. And, and it was absolutely gratuitous, not necessary for the plot line. It was clearly another woke agenda insertion as we have come to expect from Netflix routinely. And uh, this one was so in your face that we just, both of us looked at each other and flipped off the TV. Uh, you know, that, okay, enough of that. Time to go to bed. Um, and, uh, um, uh, and then Jill uh, in the morning uh, woke up and she said, uh, I've got to find some way to be able to pre-screen uh, these these various streaming broadcasts for their woke content. I wonder if there's anything out there on the internet. And so she uh, started searching and she found this delicious site that is mentioned in the article. Uh, it, it, not, that, not, not wokeshows.com, which I've delved into. <laughs> yeah. So she finds not and she's like, hallelujah, this is a gold mine because they have, uh, um, listed all these uh, criteria that they apply to define whether or not a show is woke and whether or not they're going to include it in their recommended broadcast that one that one who is, uh, let's say, not enjoying the woke agenda uh, can safely view. Uh, I guess this is akin to the censorship board there that the BBC sponsors for you, you uh, lucky uh, members of the United Kingdom. Uh, and so uh, you're all so fortunate that the government <laughs> looks out for you so carefully and maintains your mental health uh, in alignment with their interests. So uh, in any case, she finds this website and and it's such a rich repository of, uh, you know, a little bit tongue in cheek, uh, but uh, um, on point commentary about what constitutes woke from the perspective of some group that is seeking to delineate uh, woke from non-woke uh, broadcasting 
uh, and uh, and being able to to list uh, non woke uh, content that she writes to the authors and they write back and uh, because we've become quite sensitized to uh, issues concerning copyright. Mm. And uh, so they write back and they say, yes, absolutely. Uh, You're free to use this. We're, we're so grateful and, and, you know, all happy, happy. And so she takes basically their content and, uh, disambiguates it, you know, uh, or redacts it or restructures it so that it's not specifically about programming, but speaking more directly about what is woke. And from the framework of these individuals that put together this website that previously has been relatively unknown um, and blast it out uh, together with the cross link to the source material, et cetera. And that's what gives rise to this uh, fun little throwaway essay, which was her basically Oh, oh, we got to get something out this morning. How about if we do this? While I I happen to be writing an in-depth uh, technical piece about uh, adulteration and the RNA vaccines, which was going to take much longer, so we wanted to get something out to our our uh, Substack subscribers uh, so they have it with their morning coffee, uh, and and that's the genesis of this particular essay. And I will will finish on adulteration and another word that we've come across uh, only in the last few days. But but I love this article simply because it's what people are facing, that people are, yeah. and what you described is exactly what millions and millions of people across any country face. You look at something and you're not sure where to watch it and you're not sure what the plot line will be. And often it, uh, I've watched different shows and they start off one way, uh, being macho with a hero, like all 24 type. And then by the end, it's something completely different. On... They slip it in. I know. Um, they, they, they're really gotten quite clever about it in advancing, uh, this, uh, agenda of, of a particular way of, uh, looking at the world. And of course the UK, uh, has been one of the world leaders in advancing nudge technology, which is what this really is, uh, that we're encountering in broadcast media is, is applied nudge. And, uh, you know, this is another case of a slippery slope. Uh, who's against, uh, reducing, uh, public, uh, tobacco consumption. Oh, you know, that's, we're all for that. We don't want passive smoke. Uh, and well then, uh, so then it's okay to use nudge uh, to reduce uh, that. And then, well, who's who's not in favor of more tolerance against ethnic minorities? Well, of course, we all want that. Uh, well, how are we going to do it? Well, we'll take this same nudge technology and apply it like a great big hammer to that one. And so then we, I'm going to, this is a, uh, um, a sacred cow. Uh, so then, then we have, uh, the uh, infamous Doctor Who has suddenly become a femme, yeah. uh, etc. Et and that what kind of went over with like a lead balloon, as I recall. Uh, and but but it, it doesn't matter. Uh, in 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 pursuit of uh, the social engineering agenda, uh, profitability and uh, uh, audience uh, uptake and acceptance. Uh, are totally secondary to the broader mission of uh, advancing social equity as defined by uh, whomever they are uh, that that established all these agendas and try to propagate it globally. Um, another one that I ran into recently was a uh, 
CNN broadcast uh, uh, looking at uh, travel and food in Italy. Uh, who, who isn't interested in Italian food and travel? I mean, that's a great topic. And uh, this is coming off of Anthony Bourdain's suicide and, and how successful his series was. I think CNN is trying to pick up the ball. And so they get another uh, actor, a uh, well-known Italian, I'm not going to beat him up, uh, that uh, tours Italy. And uh, we're in about three episodes, and suddenly we're getting propagandized about in favor of basically Italian socialism and uh, the importance of accepting immigrants uh, from uh, North Africa and uh, integrating them into Italian society and and uh, that these uh, far-right people, you know, ergo Giorgio Maloney, et cetera, um, are, uh, you know, because anybody who is against immigration is uh, obviously uh, far-right by definition. Uh, and uh, and uh, Mussolini is just right there. You know, it's, uh, don't like immigration. Uh, you're, you're one step away from uh, full-on uh, uh, Mussolini fascism. Uh, and, and so uh, that... That's how that particular series has gone. Uh, as another example, is that it's become a platform for advancing uh, this these same social theories, uh, ostensibly under the guise of a travel show uh, focused on Italian cuisine. I mean, it, it pervades everything. It it does, and and in it, you give fifteen examples. Uh, you go through, of course, uh, the one that stands out, which you've also seen over the last three years, is called COVID-19 virtue signaling. Virtue signaling is a, a term that links with with woke. But that maybe took it to a new level of advisories, COVID advisories under videos, giving you the different side. And Andrew Bridgen speaking in the House of Commons whenever he was talking about vaccine injuries, at the bottom it kept bringing up all these piece of information at why what he was saying was rubbish. But even on the COVID stuff, the mask, the double, the triple masking, or people getting the sticker to say the high job, it was in your face in public, yeah. I guess, in a way that we hadn't seen before. And and the social distancing, I mean, all these things had no, even though they were cloaked in scientism, uh, which is, you know, we got to be careful about using that term. Uh, Jill constantly reminds me. Because it it is actually formally defined as uh, the belief system around everything that is true and real can be uh, directly perceived and detected. So that's the essence of scientism, and it's in in definition it's in opposition to uh, um, uh, uh, let's say uh, mysticism at one parameter and uh, um, uh, belief in in uh, theology and religion in another parameter, or uh, um, we could we could talk about uh, the ancient uh, uh, Celtic religions of uh, um, paganism, uh, for instance. Uh, all all of that being in opposition to this belief that only things that we can measure and detect are true. But the term scientism has been come kind of transformed a little bit with Dr. Fauci being the uh, poster child of, of uh, scientific truth is that which is asserted by largely the government uh, and government agents that uh, their interpretation of scientific truth is the one and only truth, 
uh, and there shall be no debate. Uh, and and that's that, you know, the BBC and the Trusted News Initiative have become uh, the uh, guarantors of of and, and the enforcers of uh, that that logic that the only scientific truth, quote unquote, in this post-truth, post-modern world is that which is advanced uh, in the approved narrative endorsed by the government. Mm. Uh, and you, uh, you start off right at the beginning. It is alphabetical, but the 15th, and you talk about anti-religious bias. And I'm shocked at how we see that so prevalent uh, that those with a belief system, and often a belief system in Christianity, uh, are hateful or certainly hypocritical or hit um i mean the the level of vitriol that is attached to someone who believes something and i guess the whole issue of belief of absolutes is completely alien to a woke agenda where anything goes and truth is subjective um and that level of mocking and ridiculing is is dangerous certainly in in a country as in yours uh based on biblical foundations and Christian truths. And yet now we are encouraged to attack the very foundations on which our societies were based on. Right. Uh, and there's, this is all rife with paradox. So uh, you point out that, that uh, Christianity and in particular traditional Christianity and in most particular this new insurgent movement within the Catholic Church in opposition to the Pope called Tradcath. Um, th those, those folks are in particular demonized uh, that uh, the, for the sin of <laughs> wanting to receive the liturgy in Latin. Uh, 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 you can't make this up. Uh, um, uh, you know, it's so intrinsically absurd. And, and the bizarre paradox is that in parallel, the prior religious uh, orientation that was so heavily weaponized, that being uh, radical Islam and Islam, you know, generalized Islam, uh, suddenly is uh, um, aligned uh, in a paradoxical way with with the uh, woke slash progressive or approved uh, agenda um, uh, in, in this uh, enormous rift that has occurred in the context of, let's say gently, the IDF Gaza conflict. And I absolutely don't want to go there because I, I find that uh, information landscape to be so heavily contaminated with uh, very advanced psi war capabilities on both sides that uh, once again, this is, this is absolutely a post-truth, post-modern uh, battleground of, of two highly developed psi war uh, capabilities going head to head on the world stage in, in which uh, um, we could debate who are the victims and who are the perpetrators here, but I think truth is absolutely on the victim list. Uh, truth has become completely subjective. And that's that's what's happened throughout all of this is, as I, I keep saying, this is postmodernism in which truth is a subjective uh, quality that is uh, not intrinsic 
uh, but rather is subjective uh, and is the and is the product of uh, exertion of uh, force and capabilities in the uh, information landscape uh, and is defined by uh, those who are able to dominate that information landscape. Truth is entirely subjective and is a function of whoever is the dominant party in what I call this postmodern golden rule, those with the gold make the rules. And it's now those with the gold define truth. It's so true. We've just had today, there was a um, uh, Rishi Sunak, sadly, our prime minister here in the UK, um, little in substance, little in size, little in vision, but Rishi well, Sunak. Now, now don't, don't be staturist. <laughs> But Rishi Sunak, he was talking about a new AI institute, which the UK is setting up. And it's going to be the world's <laughs> first safe uh, AI safety institute. Um, and he talked about, we want to have an AI consensus and what's good and bad, just like we have a climate right. change census. So, so, right. So AI is has been sold to the public as a neutral arbiter of truth. But we know... Um, from the various AI ap- applications and algorithms that are available now, that um, AI and machine learning and deep learning are very much a consequence, a derivative of the source information that is used to build those algorithms that train them. Uh, and so by selecting the information, so for instance, it's just like Wikipedia. Wikipedia defines truth as uh, basically of the work product of corporate media, uh, in which is to say the Trusted News Initiative. So if it's endorsed by TNI, then it must be true. And that is what comes out in those. So it's not even, it's it's beyond scientific papers. It's whatever large corporate media puts out with their spin becomes the only allowed input vector for Wikipedia. And this is done, you know, when we now know that Wikipedia is being uh, edited in real time algorithmically by our intelligence community, including your lovely MI6. Uh, and so uh, it, it, you know, people still perceive Wiki as, as a source of basically akin to the Encyclopedia Britannica, uh, but it's absolutely not. Uh, now, I'm, I haven't dove into how badly uh, Encyclopedia Britannica Tanika is being manipulated. I don't know the answer to that now. But uh, the uh, AI-based uh, uh, um, uh, engines have absolutely been shown to have uh, political biases that per, you know, apparently derive from their training source material. And uh, so, for instance, the other day, Steve Kirsch uh, gave an inquiry to one of them uh, that I was not familiar with previously, and asked if anybody uh, that had uh, been a anti-vaxxer had turned to being in favor of the vaccines. And uh, he was very uh, comforted by the fact that he was not so identified. Uh, but uh, myself and Jessica Rose, and there was another person, uh, were were identified as having uh, um previously been anti-vaxxers, you know, I'm the, I'm the vaccine developer, anti-vaxxer who invented RNA vaccine technology, um, that, you know, you have to, this is, uh, for, you know, park your cognitive dissonance, 
uh, is irrelevant. Um, uh, but uh, then, then had uh, now strongly endorsed uh, the COVID vaccines and indicated that everybody should get them. Absolute lie. Okay. Absolute propaganda. None of that true. Uh, that that was listed, but that's what spat out in response to that question. And with Jessica Rose, it, it asserted that she was a former beauty queen. I've never heard her talk about that before. Um, I got to ask her about whether or not she was once a beauty queen. Uh, and and also went into the same kind of uh, flip flop, which I know has not happened. Uh, so it's it's uh, those of us. And this is another part of my background that most people are unaware. For the first two years of my undergraduate, I was a computer science student. Uh, and uh, actually took top honors uh, for that time. I just didn't want to spend the rest of my life in a basement looking at a CRT tube. Uh, but uh, um, uh, I was taught early on garbage in, garbage out uh, with any uh, program-based algorithm uh, that uh, abstracts from data. Uh, you, your source data will determine uh, the product. Um, and you can have the most sophisticated uh, deep learning algorithm, but if it is uh, 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 employing a biased data set, it will give you a biased answer. And that's absolutely what's happening, but it's being pitched to the public as if this is a godlike neutral arbiter of truth. Uh, and it is so easily manipulated. Uh, the question is, does Rishi, is Rishi uh, in the cohort of, um, I don't really understand the technology, but it seems awfully cool. Uh, and and he, this is, uh, you know, th this tension <laughs> always exists between nefarious intent and incompetence. And is he merely an incompetent or, or is he aware of how readily uh, artificial intelligence algorithms can be manipulated? I don't know the answer to that. I, I the, the dangerous thing is I think he is aware because I think his wife's family made the money off the tech industry partially well, through tech. So exactly, he should be so aware. He, he I he should be a sophisticated user, and then the derivative of that would be um, this is not a guy that can be trusted because mm. he's misrepresenting truth to the British public. Uh, I know that you would probably be shocked. Uh, that and we will probably be deplatformed and severely. Uh, maybe uh, I better be careful because I want to fly back into London uh, to uh, help out Andrew on December fourth. So I don't want to get arrested when I land at Heathrow. Well, we'll see how that happens. You may just stay in the UK for a while, and <laughs> we'll keep you government hospitality, uh, no doubt, and free lodging. Hey, you started by talking about that Netflix series, um, the um, the slipping in of 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 my love, as you said, and uh, I've been watching a another BBC program and three series in. Oh, suddenly now there's the other side, woman love, and that slipped in. Uh, doesn't fit with the story, doesn't add to it at all. But in your article, you talk about bad masculinity um, and where it, male behavior is. Um, inherently toxic and negative uh, but then again the the fun side because you have to sit back and with a smile and begin to mock the chaos and confusion and people trying to jump through hoops and put these together you've got the whole infinite genders and how that works and i was sitting watching gb news yesterday and they had someone on who i think 
was, I'm not sure whether male or female, um, a strange hybrid. Uh, they were talking What's about... What's wrong with you? It's, uh, it's irrelevant. I, I, no, I no it's longer so, know what it means, a trans so woman. <laughs> <laughs> a trans woman, a trans woman. I think, okay, just go back to basics. How did the person start? That, that That's where I need to start with. But this confusion, if, if male psychic or identification is toxic then what happens if a woman then decides she's a man is that then still toxic or is that not acceptable and this chaos and confusion yes oh they like i said the cognitive dissonance associated (laughs) with this which has no um pardon me no well-structured underlying logic is profound and so you have like with any cognitive dissonance you have to just park that Uh, don't confront it uh, because it will drive you mad. It's uh, cognitive dissonance is one of the major sources of psychological pain, and but only if you confront it. Uh, and so, for your mental health, you should, Peter, you should really need to stop thinking about things like that, uh, and and uh, go back and reread uh, 1984, but consider it to be a, a guidance document yeah. uh, rather than a warning document, and and it will all be fine. Uh, along those lines, I strongly, in terms of content uh, to consider in streaming, uh, often overlooked is uh, this lovely little sci-fi piece with Uma Thurman, as I recall, uh, called Gattaca. Uh, and I strongly recommend uh, G-A-T-T-A-G-A is actually uh, intended to be a DNA sequence uh, in this particular sci-fi piece, which is very well produced, uh, way ahead of its time, and absolutely predicts uh, the you know almost almost as as uh, prescient as 1984 was, uh, absolutely predicts uh, this new reality, postmodern reality that we're walking into, where your uh, genetics uh, define. Uh, who you are and what you're allowed to be uh, and on behalf of government industry and everything else. Uh, so that's that's absolutely should be on everybody's watch list if you haven't already seen Gattaca. But uh, this, this logic that you're talking about, uh, toxic uh, masculinity, of course, is what Jordan Peterson mm. has been so reviled for speaking against. Uh, um, that's And, of course, we all know that Jordan Peterson is now – uh, subject to re-education uh, by edict of uh, his uh, local um, uh, health authority, I think in Toronto, as I recall, uh, and they are also subjecting other physicians to quote re-education processes uh, that have have had you know uh, uh, sinned by. Uh, um, uh, prescribing ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine for early treatment and uh, written um, uh, um, uh, statements uh, recommending that uh, individuals should not, uh, they, they should uh, not necessarily be required to take the uh, mRNA vaccine products or other genetic vaccine products, uh, which the government so heavily advocates. And, and in those in those re-education processes, which the individuals are required to pay for, by the way, the state doesn't pay for that re-education. Uh, it's like three to five thousand bucks, and at the end of which you have to write a, a letter 
uh, demonstrating that you have successfully incorporated the teaching of the re-education process and that you are sufficiently contrite uh, for your past sins. And if you do not show sufficient contrition in this letter, I mean, this is full on Soviet, uh, right? If you don't show sufficient contrition, then you will have to pay for another round of re-education ad nauseum until the overseers believe, they, they become convinced that you have uh, provided uh, the necessary uh, written, signed documentation uh, that uh, demonstrates uh, that you have, um, you, you are, are uh, um, uh, requesting uh, humbly uh, um, forgiveness uh, for your sins, uh, and that uh, you have indicated clearly in this public document uh, that you will not sin again. Uh, and, and so anybody that asserts that this is not actually a false religion uh, isn't paying attention because that's that's what we have, this whatever you want to call it, wokeism or whatever, this new uh, censorship industrial complex uh, propaganda infrastructure uh, that so much of it traces back to UK social science, I'm sorry to say, uh, is is now um, enforcing itself on the population using the classic totalitarian uh, methodology. And uh, I'm reminded, someone, someone pointed out to me the other day uh, when I was at Shannon Joy's event in Rochester, that uh, Matthias Desmond, when he speaks of totalitarianism, He's not the a key differentiator between authoritarianism and totalitarianism is that authoritarianism under a dictatorship or other structure is a, a minority imposing its will on the population. In totalitarianism, it is the totality of society that is acting in this way. It is a social consensus, in this case, a manufactured one, um, but it is a social consensus that this is the way we shall be. And uh and one of the key factors in when totalitarianism emerges in a society and, and basically integrates itself into the entire system is that you can turn over uh, the leadership, Ergo Rishi and the prior prime minister that you guys, uh, that brief stint uh, that you all experienced. 45 uh, days. Ones, <laughs> ones, um, you, can, you can replace the leadership uh, uh, and it will not change the process until the entire population wakes up from what's happening uh, because they there will be new leaders emerge organically from the society uh, to fill that role of uh, dear leader um, uh, because this is absolutely a function of a deep uh, psychological process that is uh, consumed the society, so we can all in in our little bubble of uh, you know resistance cell. Is it twenty percent of people? Is it five percent? We can go back and forth. Uh, we we can all laugh at the sheep and uh, what's going on and point out their logical inconsistencies. It's irrelevant uh, until such point as people literally wake up and recognize that uh, this is, at a minimum, not meeting their needs. 
uh, you know, is, are you, you know, this is the classic question. Are you better off than you were uh, um, earlier on under this, uh, I guess it's conservative government that you have uh, that is not uh, acting very conservative. Conservative. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, are you better off now than you were then? Uh, and at some point the, the culture says, uh, no, uh, we need a change. Uh, and they collectively wake up. But when that's going to be, is it going to be next year? Is it going to be next decade? Or is it going to be a hundred years from now? There's no way to predict. Yeah. I'm, I'm just imagining, sorry, I'm just imagining Jordan Peterson writing a letter of apology to the Canadian government saying how wrong it was. And I think this actually could be a series. You could have different, uh, I'm sure you would love to do one program. You know, many people, a whole 45 minute fly on the wall, uh, high profile individuals writing, I'm so sorry letters. Sounds perfect. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, uh, the uh, Babylon Bee needs to take this up immediately. Um <laughs> Hey, there, yeah. there's, there's, there's one. Other... Brand. Russell Brand ought to do this. This is absolutely made for Russell Brand. I think, I think you need to patent this idea immediately. <laughs> Russell Brand is an intriguing character. <laughs> Long ago there. Um, the one other thing I'd pull out: distorted racism and this pitting people against others. Um, living in London, uh, being in a very mixed. Uh, culture coming from Northern Ireland, being in a mono culture uh, and enjoying that mix and all that brings, and then this push and push to no, you must see racism behind everything, and that on top of everything else, it is it the tension that is developing in society is is frightening. Um, the people are encouraged to pit themselves against someone else instead of agreeing to disagree. You're not allowed to agree to disagree. And if you don't agree, you're wrong. You must be hated. You must be uh, mocked. You must be attacked. Um, I, you see it as well in the states that that tension is is bubbling under the surface. And and it's just, I mean, we're laughing at our Canadian colleagues, but we know that they have been at the tip of the spear in advancing a lot of these agendas, uh, most notably uh, the um, debanking mm -hmm. uh, is the most egregious example. Uh, and Nigel uh, can, uh, there in the UK, can speak eloquently at length about uh, the debanking agenda and its, its intended linkage with social credit system. Uh, yeah, so, so the question is, I think for all of us, again, this grappling with uh, the tension between incompetence and nefarious intent, which is so hard to disambiguate unless we're mind readers, or we are able to get through Freedom of Information Act, the smoking gun documents that establish uh, nefarious intent. But uh, this division of society again and again and again, repeated division into subgroups on top of subgroups on top of subgroups uh, absolutely has the appearance of serving the interests of, uh, of large uh, financial and power interests, which may be transnational, multinational, or globalist. Uh, we have these euphemisms that are all used. Uh, if, if it just as the hypothetical, not saying necessarily this is what's happening, uh, but if you had, let's say, uh, traditional monarchists or large banking conglomerates, or we can go down the list of potential actors, 
uh, that were interested in um, uh, further enhancing their power and financial base at the expense of uh, what ostensibly is a um, uh, self-governing uh, populace, uh, then, uh, you know, I, I hesitate to use the term democracy, uh, and, and I would get attacked if I use the term democracy in the United States, uh, because we don't technically have a democracy, just like technically you don't have a constitution. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, but, uh, it certainly has appeared to be in the interests of these very large, uh, um, concentrated, uh, power blocks uh, that are led by a very small number of individuals who happen to be uh, um, have have accumulated, you know, calling it wealth is kind of almost a misnomer. Uh, uh, assets and power uh, that uh, um, they have, uh, they and their, and their families or progenitors or associates have historically exploited to uh, further concentrate and exert their influence over world affairs. That's uh, my attempt to be politically correct uh, um, and wrap things with words uh, that that the average person would just say, well, they're all corrupt and they want to run the world. Uh, um, and as I get, again, I, I cite back uh, the postmodern golden rule. Uh, those of us of a certain age uh, recall when the golden rule was do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And in the postmodern world, the golden rule is those with the gold make the rules. Uh, maybe it's always been that way. I don't know. Maybe I was just naive back then uh, when I when I was listening to uh, my pastor speak on the lectern in the Episcopalian church that my parents used to go to. Uh, but uh, And that's another thing that I find fascinating when you think about it. Uh, we all, many people used to, uh, I'll say, make fun of the Church of England in its uh, leadership uh, in advancing what we now recognize as a woke agenda. Um, uh, but it it is increasingly normalized across uh, um, much of the Christian uh, theologic space, uh, notably including the Catholic Church, the current Pope, uh, that they, you know. So maybe, maybe we got it all wrong. Uh, maybe the Episcopalians were actually the tip of the spear in advancing uh, the new world order. I don't know, but it it's kind of increasingly looks that way. What one would never imagine uh, the Episcopalian clergy as. Uh, I don't think any stereotype would label them as the avant-garde. Uh, cutting edge of social change. And yet, uh, so it would seem. Yeah, that <clears throat> fight for truth within the church whenever it's there in black and white in the Bible. Can, can we finish on? Uh, word of the week, adulteration. Uh, this uh, I guess there's, there's a great, meme, uh, great meme circulating uh, <laughs> um, with, uh, um, uh, I guess, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, with with the uh, stone tablets, uh, with the Ten Commandments, uh, and the statement, "Thou shalt not commit adulteration," uh, as as and no, it's not adultery. Uh, yes, yeah, so this is a, a scientific technical term and a regulatory term. It's actually entrenched in American federal law, and 
throughout the world in uh, regulatory uh, statutes and policies uh, that that have largely been enforced and structured through the International Committee on Harmonization, uh, throwing out some buzzwords there for all of you wonks, uh, which is uh, kind of the international body that has harmonized, you know, that's another good woke term, um, uh, very important in European politics. Uh, we all want to be harmonized and aligned. Uh, um, but uh, harmonized regulatory policies globally uh, so that uh, Mr. Pharma doesn't have the inconvenience of having to restructure their regulatory documents for each nation state that they submitted to. Uh, um, so harmonization is important. And a key term throughout all of this is adulteration, which is in, in its simplest form. It is uh, the incorporation of adulterants or impure material into, in the original American statute, food, devices, or drugs. Remember, we have the Food and Drug Administration that's responsible for this. And it goes back to the time of the scandals that Upton Sinclair uh, revealed in his, you know, classic uh, works, uh, literary works concerning the Chicago slaughterhouse environment and contamination of food with rat feces and other materials. So rat feces or other uh, awful, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, excrement uh, from animal species uh, contaminating foodstuffs is is absolutely considered to be an adulterant. But technically, in the drug space, adulteration consists of inclusion of uh, materials in a final drug product that are not specifically disclosed in the label. Remember, the label also includes that little package insert that goes in the box that says all those things that nobody ever reads um, in the very fine print. Uh, but basically, as, as one is allowed to market a drug product, uh, typically that requires uh, the, the final drug product, I'll say this way, is defined as the sum total of everything that goes into making it. So the manufacturing process, the testing and release, uh, the regulatory documentation, the documentation of the clinical trials, all of that. It's not just the stuff that's in the pill or in the syringe, but it's all that stuff, that documentation and information that surrounds it, that cloud of information. And so in technically, if a uh, regulatory authority together with a manufacturer disclose that, well, in fact, in our product, there is a, you know, a certain fraction of rat feces, uh, but we have a test for rat feces and uh, those rat feces cannot exceed uh, 0.001% or whatever the thing is, okay? Um, uh, that, that type of thing uh, makes that not an adulterant. If it is disclosed and you have some parameters around it, then that's acceptable. Um, what's happened here with these RNA genetic products is that um, two things have not been disclosed and basically they have been detected by uh, two different laboratory groups, one in the United States and one at the University of Guelph. You'll remember University of Guelph being the home of Byron Bridal. And so now we have another Guelph uh, um, uh, dissenter, uh, solid 
rock solid scientist that uh, in his group that does DNA sequencing uh, and that have uh, these two groups have um, acquired at great difficulty because of course this is forbidden in most nation states to be able to analyze uh, the vials that Pfizer or uh, Moderna give us. We're told to just accept them that they are as, as they are asserted to be, which has never been the case with other drugs. Always a national authority like Paul Ehrlich or the European Union will uh, independently verify that uh, what is in the vial by random sampling is in fact what pharma says is in the vial. And it's within those uh, limitation parameters that are predefined in the regulatory package. Um, but it turns out that they were asleep at the switch or willfully ignorant or, you know, we can extend that out uh, and hopefully someday we'll have the documentation to allow us to discern how the heck this happened. But we are hearing now more and more a cascade of mea culpa statements from European Medicines Agency, Health Canada, Australian regulatory authorities, uh, yet to hear this from the FDA for some reason, um, that in fact, uh, we're guilty. Uh, we weren't aware. Mr. Pharma misled us, uh, Pfizer, Moderna, whomever, misled us. And in fact, there is uh, quite a bit of these small linear DNA fragments contaminating the final drug product. And by the way, the DNA source, a circular piece of DNA that was used to manufacture the RNA, it was grown in bacteria. And that result that leads to another whole can of worms is the endotoxin contamination and whether it's been adequately monitored. Endotoxin being something that's known to cause uh, shock in humans when injected. Humans turn out to be exquisitely sensitive to injected uh, endotoxin compared to many other species. Uh, and that may have something to do with the, some of the anaphylactic reactions that patients develop uh, within the first 24 to 48 hours. Um, certainly that is consistent with endotoxin contamination, um, but also that we have this DNA contamination. And so because it wasn't disclosed, um, uh, and, and furthermore, the composition, the sequence of the plasmid from which these short DNA fragments are derived, uh, was not disclosed, and in particular, the existence of some sequences derived from simian virus 40 were not disclosed, and a lot of uh, then this constitutes an adulterant, uh, and uh, the EMA and some of these other health agencies are now basically saying, not our fault. Um, uh, Pfizer didn't didn't tell us about it. Uh, and Pfizer is coming out with statements saying, well, we didn't tell you about it because we didn't think it was important. Um, I'm paraphrasing, but that's the essence of the argument. Uh, and uh, it turns out this is not okay because short linear DNA fragments that are produced by degrading these plasmids uh, are among the most highly uh, active uh, molecules, DNA molecules, if you want to. Uh, mutate uh, the genome, let's say, of a cell line or an experimental animal. Uh, and, uh, you know, normally that level of DNA contamination would be below the threshold that has uh, historically been imposed for vaccines. So 
Uh, it's a chronic problem, DNA contamination in vaccines. Basically, it was a major reason why the Solvay program that I was on got killed because uh, they couldn't get rid of the uh, all the DNA they needed to from the cell lines that were growing the flu. That's a, a tangent. But it's a, it's a known problem in biologics manufacturing. Uh, and, um, and so technically, the threshold level of DNA fragments that are there are below the historic allowed DNA contamination. But it's kind of apples and oranges because with, with an injectable, uh, let's say a flu vaccine, um, it's not designed to be a polynucleotide delivery system, okay? But what we have here with these RNA products, uh, thanks to the enabling technology created at the University of British Columbia uh, by Peter Cullis and his colleagues after decades of work, by the way, they were the ones, if anybody's gonna get the Nobel prize for the enabling technology advance, it was those guys, not the pseudouridine people, but that's another tangent. Um, so shout out to Peter Cullis, I guess, uh, for uh, enabling this technology in vivo. But um, that tech is agnostic about whether it's DNA or RNA. And so you have the most potent non-viral delivery system ever devised by man uh, being formulated with not only RNA, in RNA that isn't really natural RNA. It has a very, very long half-life and it's immunosuppressive that was by design, uh, but also with these short DNA fragments, which are known to be highly mutagenic. It hasn't been proven in these formulations, but the literature is explicit um, that in, in abundant, that short linear DNA fragments will drive mutations in your cells in your body, if it's injected through your body, and then perhaps most worrisome, we know that these formulations based on the Pfizer common technical document that was uh, submitted, that's the non-clinical package to get authorization to proceed, um, that was kind of the last shot at doing the real toxicology, uh, revealed that uh, these particles have a surprisingly high affinity for ovarian tissue which is where germ cells reside uh, in the form of eggs, ova, and uh, not tested was whether or not these ova take up these particles, but certainly the ovarian tissue in general does. Uh, so, and then of course, we also have the recommendation that pregnant women should be receiving these products. And we know from the literature that these products cross the placenta. Okay, so they are getting into baby and baby is in first trimester in a highly, you know, rapidly developing uh, um, embryonic environment. Uh, and so I, my determination is this is a true risk. Uh, it is one that will manifest in the form of somatic cell cancers, particularly lymphomas and leukemias, which by the way, we do happen to be seeing a surge in um, inexplicably. Uh, but if, if you wanted to, in an experimental model, drive the development of leukemias and lymphomas, uh, you could use retroviral gene therapy vectors. That's why it basically killed retroviral gene therapy was because of these side effects of leukemias and lymphomas because of insertional immunogenesis. And you could do it experimentally if you wanted to discover oncogenes or tumor suppressor genes, because that's how this technology was used. You could deliver... I'm um, using these uh, cool new formulations from Cullis et al. 
uh, short DNA fragments, and they would absolutely disrupt the genome. Uh, and so there's the cancer risk, and there's obviously a uh, germline uh, fetal development uh, mutagenesis risk. Uh, and I'm I'm confident enough because this was the the area of molecular biology that I literally cut my teeth on originally: mouse memory tumor virus, intentional mutagenesis, insertional mutagenesis, in order to search for oncogenes and tumor suppressor genes. Um, under the mentorship of uh, MD PhD pathologist, uh, one of the first molecular pathologists who had just finished a sabbatical with Bishop and Varmus, who got the Nobel Prize for discovering oncogenes. Okay, so. I know this area. The literature is clear and explicit, and I'm I'm so confident about these observations that I'm willing to put my reputation on the line and say this is happening at some frequency. We just don't know what the frequency is right now. What's well, a huge topic, and it's a perfect end. And I know another reason to get your Substack is you've just put an article up on this, uh, republished uh, a trial site news piece on this and people can delve into that but robert i always appreciate your time for coming on and congratulations on having a, a speaker in the house now the the republicans can continue to use their majority of four to do nothing so well done <laughs> <laughs> oh uh what a bizarre world we live in um uh so uh yes uh all true um from louisiana <laughs> Uh, and uh, we now have a Republican governor in Louisiana who I've known and worked with. It's been my pleasure. Uh, and um, the new speaker uh, talks the talk. Hmm. Um, so let's see if uh, he'll be able to walk the walk uh, about all these various issues. Uh, and time will tell on that. But they are under a pretty short deadline to fund the government. Uh, and are we going to continue to see basically kick the can down the road, continuing resolution, or are we going to see the Republican marginal Republican majority in the house uh, that ostensibly is the ones that are supposed to create the budget uh, actually uh, do what they have been saying they're going to do and uh, take up all these independent budgets uh, for funding the various public agencies uh, on including Department of Defense, Homeland Security with CISA, uh, the intelligence community and their black budget, uh, and all of these other uh, weird and wonderful agencies that we have developed here in the United States that are bleeding us all dry um, and driving, you know, we're, <laughs> the other day I was reading uh, Doug Casey's International Man, and he used the, used the metaphor that the American government is like Wiley E. Coyote in the Roadrunner series. It's already it's already run off the edge of the cliff, and it just isn't aware that it's about to plummet down to the bottom and get crushed. Uh, we are way past the danger zone in terms of our indebtedness. Oh, and, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Hundred um, percent. For the viewers, make sure and for listen, make sure and follow Robert if you don't already on his uh, Twitter or on Getter on the Substack. And lies my government told me uh, is a perfect. Christmas present gifts, so uh, do look out for that. Get a, oh, yeah, uh, please. a copy, uh, and and pass out. But I, I've heard it referred to as an important historic document. Oh, it is. It no, it is in real time, uh, and and that could never be written today mm. because many of the references have been getting scrubbed from the internet. Yeah, yeah, we've seen that uh, absolutely. Um, Robert, 
thanks so much uh, for coming on, sharing your latest Substack and a number of other thoughts. So thank you. Thanks, Peter. Anytime. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list. Donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofvoke.org. Thank you for listening.